Great. Well, we're going to turn to um, John chapter 15. Um, John chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to it. It will be on the screen. Um, but it is, it's a huge privilege to, to be able to open up God's Word and to be able to, to teach you. Um, I count that a real privilege. Um, but I want you to check what I'm saying is what Jesus really said. Because <laughs> you don't, don't believe me. It's him we trust. Um, so I'm going to read John 15, verses 18 to 25. Here's Jesus. He's teaching his disciples that he's about to go to a cross and die and then rise and return to his father. He's going to leave them. And he's preparing them for him to his departure. And he says in verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin as it is. They have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Well, this is the sort of passage that if you weren't convinced that all of God's word was God's word, I think I'd be tempted to skip this one. You know, can we not, let's skip on to the next nice bit. But one of the things that really underpins our church and a conviction that we have is that we want to hear all of what God is saying to us. And that means working through bits of the Bible, even bits that don't particularly sound that inspiring and wonderful to us. You see, Jesus starts by saying to his disciples, you're going to be hated. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Let me just start with three um, sort of three things that I think are true, and uh, that I hope will sort of set up where we're heading in, in this in this time together. Here's the first thing I think is true: no one wants to be hated, or not many people. Yes, there are a few. You know, there are a few people who sort of made a career of being hated, who just say offensive, obnoxious things because it's sort of now who they are. I get that. Forget them. Most people don't want to be hated. We want to be liked. There's something very deeply hardwired into the human heart that wants affirmation and approval. I want you to like me. It matters. Not many people go out of their way to seek to be hated. That's kind of first little statement. Here's Here's another statement. Sometimes people are willing to be hated. So we've all probably seen various situations in life where people have done something which is deeply unpopular and they've been willing to do that, even though by nature we don't want to be hated. So let me give you an example. So um, the protesters at the moment, the Insulate Britain protesters at the moment, they are stirring up a lot of hatred towards themselves. 
I'm not making political comment at this point. I'm just using it as an illustration. So there were pictures in the news of them covered in um, ink that had been thrown at them by angry drivers who were trying to go about their lives. Now, it's not that those people are some kind of weird breed of humanity that actually quite like being hated. They don't. They, want, they don't want to be hated, just like everyone else. It's just that something, they're willing to be hated for this. Which means, third statement, there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point between approval and hatred. I mean, it's to try and explain why I um, put it like that. I need you to pretend that you are eight again. Okay, just pretend you're eight. It was ever so exciting in the first, in the three o'clock service because we had a seven-year-old here. It was magnificent. This illustration was much better than because we had a seven-year-old. It suddenly took life and I got slightly carried away. I'll try to be slightly more behaved. Here I have an engine. You, you, most, I, I think many of us will have played with wooden railway, right? It's fab. Here is a little engine. And um, I, 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 we were given a bag of wooden railway the other day by a neighbor. I'm not quite sure what, why. But anyway, she gave it to us, and we've now passed on to someone who really wanted it. But, we, but just, we did get it out, and we put it on the floor and played with it for a little bit. And there's something, it's just like you can't help yourself. And one of the things that I think you can't help yourself do with wooden railways, get the bridge, you know the bridge over the, yep, and you make your figure of eight and it goes, Ooh. the really fun thing is to, get a, is to get an engine and to give a little push and to try to push it just enough, to give it just enough momentum so it goes, Ooh, and then it goes, stops on the top and then, yeah, off it goes. It's something so satisfying. If you don't quite give it enough, then you get the kind of, Ooh. And it's, oh. That's the image I want you to have in your head, right? That's what I want you to keep in your head as, I'm not sure it's exactly what Jesus had in his mind, but I, it's how I want us to picture it. This idea that there comes a point when human approval is over-tipped, overcome by something that is more weighty and more precious to us, that we would be willing to risk human disapproval because of the weightiness of this thing. And there's a tipping point there. And I think what Jesus is doing in these verses as he's preparing his disciples for what is going to be hard, it's going to be difficult to be his disciple. I think what Jesus is doing is, this is him giving his disciples a push, a shove, so that they've got enough momentum to get up over the hill and be willing to really live for him. And I think he's, he shows them three things. Three things which if we can get hold of them, perhaps they will help us to go over the tipping point. We'll, hopefully that will become clear <laughs> as we go through. Here's the, here's the first thing. The first thing is Jesus says to disciples, you've got to understand you have a new identity. A new identity. So look at verse 19 with me. Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, I think one of the problems that we have with this verse, and we've got to kind of do a bit of work now, is to work out what it means. What does Jesus mean by the world? 
You see, I think most of us have quite a positive view of the world, right? quite a Louis Armstrong view of the world. You know, the, the guy who sang, I see trees of green, red roses too, that, that sort of stuff. And, and I think to myself, what a, can I just say, at the three o'clock service, someone applauded. <laughs> so, so I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed. If I, thank you. Thank you. No, 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 no. Only one, only one. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And so we sort of have this very positive view of the world. We love the world. The world's our home. It's a beautiful world. It's a world that's full of joy and there's beautiful places. And we've all got our favorite places where we like to go. And there are mountains. We think, oh, it's the world. I love the world. And then Jesus says, you don't belong to the world. The world hates you. You go, what? No, no, no. The world's lovely. And that is because when John uses the word world, and when Jesus uses the word world, it has a very specific meaning. And in John's gospel in particular, this idea of the world really matters. The the Greek word behind it is cosmos. So 57 times John uses this word. The other gospel writers use it a little bit, but John uses it 57 times. It's a massive theme through his gospel. And when John talks about the world, he's not talking about Louis Armstrong world. He's not talking about the mountains and the beautiful places that you love to go. He's talking about something very different. Let me just tell you three things about what he means by the world. Firstly, he means a place that is in darkness. That's what he means by the world. Over and over again in John's gospel, the world is connected with darkness. The world is connected with rebellion, with hostility to God. There is God and there is the world that is opposed to him. In fact, in John 3, it says that the world loves darkness because its deeds are evil. So here's the world that loves to hide in darkness because in the darkness you can't see the evil that I do. And so the world is in rebellion against God. It's a dark place where people are opposed to God. It's the first thing you've got to know about the world. That's why when Jesus came, he kept saying things like, I'm the light of the world. You only need a light if you're in darkness, right? You run into a room that's brightly lit and you go, I've got a light. Everyone goes, well, who cares? You walk into a room that's in darkness and you say, I'm the light. And suddenly you see your need. So here is the world has this massive problem. It's in darkness. I think it's Halloween tonight. We live in a world of darkness. There's evil in our world. That's what John is talking about. And not just darkness. You also, um, second thing to know about the world is that if you just look back, if you've got a Bible open in front of you to chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus says, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. In other words, this world that we're living in is under a, an enemy rule. There is a prince of this world. Well, who who does Jesus mean by the prince of this world? Well, earlier on, back in chapter 8, he's very clear that the prince of this world is the devil, the great enemy of God. And so when humanity rebelled against God, when, when the world declared war on God, it was handed over to another ruler. It was handed over to a ruler who is a liar and a murderer, a liar who wants to destroy 
handed over to one who would hold this world in slavery. And so here's the picture that you're supposed to have when you hear the word world in John's gospel. You hear a place of darkness and a place of slavery. Um, There used to be a TV program called Can't Cook, Won't Cook. That is the people who say, I won't, and the people who say, I can't. That's what it means to be in the world. I won't see rebellion. I can't see I'm a slave. It's a desperate, the, the, the world is a desperately dangerous and hard place to be. Yes, there's beauty, Louis Armstrong, great, you're right. But when Jesus is talking about it, he sees the spiritual reality of this world. If I said there were three things about this world, and the third thing you need to know about this world is that God loves it. You see, you might think, if this world is a world of darkness that's hostile to God, and a world that's under the rule of the devil, you might think, well, then God must hate it. You might think God must be opposed to it, or that God is going to smash it. In fact, what you discover in John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved. What? The world. What world? The world that's in darkness and slavery. That's the world that God loves. What a God. He loves this world so much that he sent his son, his only beloved son, that whoever believes in Jesus should not die but have eternal life. So that is what Jesus is talking about when he means the world. And by nature, all of us belong to that world. By nature, all of us are born into that world, a world of rebellion and slavery. All of us are in darkness. We find our hearts are drawn to that which is evil, and we find our hearts powerless to do anything about it. That's where we belong. That was our identity. That was our home. And then Jesus says, you do not belong to the world. Can you see now that that's a beautiful thing for Jesus to say? That's not a disappointment. You don't belong to the world. That's good news. Because to belong to the world is still to be in darkness and slavery. Jesus says, you don't belong to the world anymore. Instead, he says, I have chosen you out of the world. Just picture him looking into the eyes of each of his disciples, saying, I've chosen you. I've chosen you out of the world. I've rescued you from darkness and brought you into light. I've rescued you from slavery and brought you into freedom. Those whom Jesus sets free are truly free. That's what Jesus came to do. It's what he came to do for you. That's why he left heaven and went to a cross to die. He did it for you so that you could be saved and have a new identity. You've got to know where you belong. And so when you find that the world opposes, or when you find that the world doesn't like some of the things that the Bible says, or some of the things that we say, or some of the things that we believe. You've got to remember who you truly are, your identity. And it's as if Jesus says, he says, when you get to that tipping point, when you think, do I keep my mouth shut so that people like me? Do I seek approval from the world? No, I don't belong there anymore. I know who I am. I belong to the light. I belong to the kingdom of Jesus, and I'm unashamed of him. 
the sheer beauty of who you are should be enough to push you up the hill and over, even if it means people hate you. That's the identity Jesus has given us. Let's move on. There's a second thing. And that is, you have a new master. Not only do you have a new identity, you have a new master. Verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. I don't think this is very difficult to understand. And I've got some more trains to help me. Hang on. Here we go. I've got some more little carriages. Right, this is, this is the point. Okay, you ready? I mean, I mean this is ridiculous. This is such a simple point that I'm, sh- I'm doing this. And you, it's such a simple point. Anyway, it, it's, it's fun. We're all having a happy time. Um, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you have a master. If he is the engine, right? If he is the, the first, the, the, the engine, the master, he says, you're connected to me. A bit like branches in a vine, right? Your branches in a vine, to change the image again. So now we've got a vine with wheels, which are branches and connected to the trunk, which is an engine. <laughs> Don't think too hard. It's not that difficult. You stay connected. You're joined to Jesus. You, you are one with him. And listen, it doesn't take much playing with wooden railway to know that wherever the engine goes, the trucks go too. That's just the way it works. It's not like the engine gets to a difficult bit of the track, goes, well, I'll go on this difficult bit, and the trucks go, oh, hang on, that looks difficult. There's a simpler way around here. Let's go this way. And off go the trucks. Of course they don't. You get the point. Overdone that. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have a new master. I am your master and you are the servants. I am the engine and you are the trucks and I am pulling you. And wherever Jesus goes, we'll go too. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If Jesus walked a road of persecution, of suffering, of rejection, of pain, we can't avoid it. You just can't. Well, you can actually. But in order to do that, you will have to uncouple from Jesus. You will have to become disconnected to Jesus. You will have to let go of Jesus if you want to go the easier route. That's the hill. Here is Jesus, the engine, pulling up the hill, pulling, pulling, pulling. And if you don't, if you're not willing to follow him, then you will be disconnected from him. And to be disconnected from Jesus is to be back in the place of darkness and back in the place of death. But he also says, if they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. So you can also expect blessing as you go. That just as there were some who hated Jesus, there were some who listened to him, who followed him, who loved him, who became carriages and joined the train. So you should expect the same. They're not all going to hate you. And so you connect. You connect to Jesus and you go where he goes. But of course this, this is not 
a model for how we're told we should be living our lives. I mean, who wants to be in a carriage? Who wants to be a truck? We want to be the, tra- the engine, right? If Thomas the Tank Engine taught us nothing, trucks are troublesome. Trucks are a pain in the neck. Trucks cause trouble. You don't want to be a truck. You want to be an engine. The engines get names. They're important. They're the ones that the story's about trucks. Who cares about them? So we all want to be trains. You're supposed to be the captain of your soul, the master of your fate. You're supposed to set the direction. You go wherever you go. You don't let anyone tell you what to do. You follow where you follow. You go wherever you want to go. And if you want to live that way, you can't be a Christian. Because Jesus says, no, I, I, I'm the master. I'm the engine. You connect to me and you follow where I go. And you may say, well, I'm not sure if I really want that. Okay, well, let me remind you who this master is. You see, if you begin to think, oh, that sounds a bit miserable, you're kidding me. Do you know who this engine is? Do you know who the master who calls you to follow him is? He's the one who said, I am the light of the world. He's the one who said, I'm the bread of life. He's the one who said, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He said, I'm the gate. I'm the doorway to heaven itself. In the face of death, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus. Jesus who can turn water into wine. Jesus who can raise the dead, who can open the eyes of the blind, who can walk on water, who can feed the hungry. This is Jesus. And he says, be your master. Be my servant. You're telling me that being a truck connected to Jesus is miserable and rubbish? It doesn't get better than that. What a privilege if we could just see Jesus. And remember, this is Jesus who went into the grave and then smashed out the other side and rose again. Keep remembering the principle. If you're connected to Jesus, you go where he goes. Which means that if Jesus smashed through the grave, so will you. Which means that if Jesus rose to life, so will you. If Jesus defeated death, so will you. If Jesus returned to his father, so will you. And Jesus will take you home forever because you're connected to him. And here is Jesus saying to his disciples, don't expect to have a different life to me. See the beauty of who I am and be willing to follow me. So when you find yourself, here we are, little truck, when you find yourself teetering on the brink, when you find yourself on the top of the bridge going, do I go over the bridge into suffering? Do I go over the bridge into that place of disapproval of the world? You say, yeah, Jesus, I will follow you. I'll follow you where you lead me. And reality is that some people will not like that. And they will treat you badly. Trains are busy today. I apologize. Some people won't want that. I remember um, I used to go to a running club. And I remember having a chat with a guy um, who I'd never met before. And he said to me, what do you do? I said, I said well, uh, I'm a pastor. And he literally turned around and walked away. It's like, Bye. That's not much, but it didn't feel that great. How rubbish, actually, because I want people to like me. But of course, there are some places in the world right now 
where the Christians aren't deciding whether or not they're going to be liked. They're deciding whether they live or die. And so here is the truck on the bridge, and the Christian is right now, there are Christians right now in the world, in this very instant, who are being faced with a decision. Is Jesus enough to pull me over? Is he enough to pull me into that place even of suffering and death? Or do I shrink back? And do I disconnect from Jesus? So Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. I'm a master who's worth following. And then the third thing, we need to crack on, the third thing is that there's a new revelation. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So Jesus says, I've come and I've spoken and I've done works. And those works have made people guilty of sin. Is it just me who has a problem with that? <laughs> Isn't there a little bit of you that goes, um, Jesus, why didn't you just not say anything? And why didn't you not do anything? Then they wouldn't have been guilty and then everything would have been okay. I think that's to massively misunderstand the situation that the world is in. You see, humanity is in slavery against God. Humanity is this, the world is this place of darkness and it is heading for, for eternal suffering. It is a deeply dangerous, painful thing. And Jesus came because he loved the people so much that he said, I'm not satisfied for you to be there. I'm not satisfied for you to remain in that state. I want to show you the life that you were created for. I want to show you the God who loves you. I want to show you the beauty of life as it's meant to be. And so he came. And to be honest with you, to be honest with you, if you, if you knew of someone who lived their whole life in a cave, and you said to me, well, it's probably better off if we just leave them in there, isn't it? You know, it'd be a shame if they found out some of the stuff they'd missed out on. I said, do you not love? There are people in darkness and you, you don't want to show them the light? You're kidding me. So Jesus, driven by love, comes to reveal. And he speaks words and he does actions. And those together reveal God. It's a revelation. He's showing the world what we were made for. He's showing the world the beauty of the God who made us. And as he speaks those words and as he does those deeds, he gives people a glimpse of glory, a glimpse of the reality they were made for. And yes, if they reject that, then they are guilty. But surely better that they have had a chance to see it than for them to just die in their sin, not even knowing. And so Jesus comes with a clear revelation of God. 
because he so loves that he wants us to know. He doesn't want us to live in darkness and ignorance and folly and sin. He wants us to know the truth. And this revelation is a true revelation. Both words and actions together perfectly revealing God. But of course, I guess, again for us, as we think about that tipping point, are we convinced that Jesus' revelation of God is true? Are we convinced that he shows life as it's meant to be lived? Are we convinced that this is good news for our world? Because if you're not convinced, what will happen in your family, your office, your street, wherever you are, what will happen is when you get the chance to speak about Jesus, you won't say anything because you're not convinced actually it's really that much good news. And you think, well, I don't really care. Just leave them to, to it. They seem all right. When Jesus looked at this world, he doesn't say, well, they seem fairly happy. They seem all right. I won't spoil it. He said, no, they're not okay. They're darkness. They're slavery and they're dying. So he came to reveal God. And that's, again, that's the push that we need over the hill to say people need to see this revelation, even if it means that they reject it. They need to be told. They need to see it. And so we point people to the words of Jesus. We say, look, let me tell you what Jesus said. We point people to the works of Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Let me tell you about Jesus. And some people will reject it. But the fact that you've told them is a loving thing to do. And so that's the revelation, the new revelation that Jesus brings. And he finishes all of this up by saying, and this is to fulfill what's written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus says this has always been the way. That's from Psalm 69 that Linda started with today. It's always been the way that those who love God, who no longer belong to the world, are hated. Because no one wants to be made to feel guilty. The world doesn't want to be made to feel guilty. The world doesn't want to be exposed. We're quite happy in our darkness. Leave us alone. And Jesus comes and exposes. And so they hated him without reason. It's extraordinary. There was no reason to hate Jesus, but they did. I think sometimes it's probably just worth saying, I think sometimes Christians can just be a bit obnoxious and annoying. We're not supposed to be hated for just being annoying. I mean, not you, not you, Yost, obviously. Um, but you know, sometimes we can be, can't we? We can we just be a bit obnoxious. You go right. Well, I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be really obnoxious in my workplace. And look, look at how they hate me. <laughs> I must be a really good Christian. You're like, no, 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 that's not. No, you're hated as you follow Jesus. You're hated as you point to the words and works of Jesus. You're hated without reason, as opposed to being obnoxious. So that we, don't, we want to be loving. We want to be like Jesus. We want to give people no reason to hate us other than the words and works of Jesus. So we speak of him with kindness. So look, let's wrap all this up. So perhaps this week you'll find yourself on the bridge, you'll find yourself on the tipping point, and you'll find yourself going, which way do I go? Do I follow or do I shrink back? You may even find yourself there. There may be tiny things, right? Tiny things this week. We sort of follow. It's hard. It's painful to follow. It might be costly to follow. But do I shrink back? 
And when you find yourself on that bridge, call out to Jesus. Jesus, I need you to pull me through. I need to see my new identity. I need to see my new master. I need to see this new revelation. Pull me through. And all of us fail, right? All of us screw up. And that's where you come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. And then you go again. So I'm going to lead some prayer. And I'm going to pray that God would help us. Um, Because this isn't easy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus, the one who came into this world, the one who was willing to be hated. Thank you so much that, Jesus, you were willing to die even for us. And we pray that we'd see more of your beauty, more of your wonder, more of your kindness. And we ask it in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.